and welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Mission Cigar and Social here in Spring Hill, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Debbin. I'm joined by a man who had a bit part in the Righteous Gemstones, but the producers were afraid that his cigar would be too distracting, Mr. Shane Reeves. Absolutely. It's been my problem my whole life. Are, are you watching? Do you watch that show? Not at all. I, I don't think you would like it. Okay. Uh, it fo- it's, it's John Goodman. I do think you would like that. But uh, it follows this uh, megachurch pastor, John Goodman's character, and his family and their exploits. And, of course, it's everything irreverent and sacrilegious that you would expect. It's, you know, the, right. the idea of the juxtaposition. Well, they're in the current third season. There's a... Um, they're, they're releasing them one a week. It's, it's not like Netflix. In this week's episode, the climactic scene is the, one of the characters uh, is confronting someone with a bit part who cheated on his wife. Or, or, or che- you know, his wife cheated on him with the other guy. And it's a fight scene. But the one dude is naked through the entire fight scene. Because he confronts the guy while he's enjoying a little alone time. Right. And, but it's full frontal for three minutes of just him beating the crap out of this other guy. And it's, it's very distracting. And honestly, kudos to the actor for being able to put in the performance he did in that state. But, uh, oof, that was a rough one. I don't think I could fight a naked man. I think I'd say, hey, uh, could you put on a set of drawers? Or Would you be more likely to fight naked or fight someone naked? I could fight naked much easier than I could fight someone naked. See, I'm kind of the opposite. I feel like it would be a little difficult, mostly because of the shoes. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can see that. But I, I don't know, just the, the whole fighting someone naked... I mean, what if during the process you start noticing certain physiological changes <laughs> and realize you may not be hurting him as badly how, as you I think, think that's how you know you're winning, Shane. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I just I don't think I could do that. <laughs> don't they? If, if, ever I'm in the, if ever I'm calling AJ because it's time for a fight and somebody starts getting undressed, I'll just, hey, don't come. Right. I, I have a, in, in all meanings of the word. Yeah, if... My, I have a buddy named AJ that he's made me promise faithfully that if ever I was going to beat up someone or have a fight that I had to call him first. You know, it, it's funny. I think a lot of people would look at you and assume that you've been in a fair few fights in your life. And I'm sure you have as a rambunctious teenager, but I, I would doubt it very hard. Almost no, I haven't yeah. been, I haven't been in a fight since I was 16 years old. See, that, that would be... So, I cannot think of anybody less likely to get in a fight than you. I mean, you know, I've competed in martial arts tournaments, and I placed third in the state in Taekwondo and um, Moda Kwan. But, so, I have the ability, but I've never had the need to exercise that ability. Right. And I'll, but, I, but I do think part of that, I'm... If, if someone come in here and was looking to pick a fight and you and I were sitting next to each other. Yeah, I don't think they're going after you. They're probably not going after. <laughs> hey, uh, let, let's, let's try the smaller one, fellas, first, see how we do, and then right. we'll work on the other one. So there's, there's probably a certain amount of that goes into it. That's a fair point. 
But anyway, let's talk about cigars instead of our our, our various soirees into the pugilistic yeah. arts. So I'll, I'll jump in first. This is a, just because I know you've got a story with yours. Um, you brought this back from the show. This is Artista Cigars, who we've actually had the guys from, from back when they were El Artista. We've had them on the show many years ago. Great group of folks. And I've really liked just about everything they've put out. You know, Carla is the nicest lady ever. She's our rep for Artista, and we don't have them in the shop right now, but we made sure at the show to go by her booth and say, Hi, Carla, how you doing? Here's where we're at. You know, we brought the big poppy in, and it sold really well, and then it just died off all of a sudden. And they're not set up to give the level of support it would take for their cigars to get over in the shop. Yeah, the, uh, the it, a poker night, those types of things. Right, you know, uh, it's one of the interesting things about being at the show this year was telling, was trying to explain to everybody, these are the brands we've brought in that didn't support their brand, and they've left. Mm-hmm. Not because they weren't good cigars, but because you've got to You've come built in. a clientele here that expects a certain level of support or, or customer service ship from yeah. the brands. And the, the minimum, just come in and sit down and smoke a cigar with right. us. You know, so the show was interesting. A lot of friendly contact, a lot of things like that where we sit down with somebody and we say, we're not bringing you in right now, but call us after the first of the year. Or, you know, I, I talked to um, McAuliffe, their head guy, Andy. Andy is the best dude ever. Love right. Andy to death. Yeah. And I just told him, I said, the, the fact of the matter is... The McAuliffe does not have a good a good resonance here at the shop right now because there was a time that was the only thing in the humidor. Right. And we're a couple of years away, but I don't want you to think I forgot about you. And he said, hey, I understand completely. He said, is it okay if I stop by and just hand out a few cigars and smoke with a couple of the guys? And I'm willing to do my part to help that to as just well. just slowly start greasing the skids. Exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I told him, I said, yeah, that, that would be, that's really the only path we've got. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, he said, I'm 100% happy to do that. It was a really good exchange, a really good conversation. Because I, I didn't want him to feel like we were, you know, shunning him for anything to do with the cigars, because the cigars are good. Yeah. No, and I think it's interesting, you know, it's, it's so, so many people who get into the cigar business as a retailer don't understand the work that goes into making it work. And so the reps are so used to, and I know this because I heard it all the time, so used to hearing people say, not right now, because they just don't want to be rude and tell you no. And any guy in any sales in industry will tell you, I'd rather hear a no than a not right now, because at least that's an answer, right? What you guys do... By and I think a lot of it comes from the multi-owner mon- model. Is nothing happens on a whim. You guys have a plan for everything, and so you're able to say, hey, "Yeah, I don't think so right now. It doesn't fit where we're at the humidor." But these are the steps we're having. This is the roadmap for the shop, and I we want to try and put you in here down the road. Like, and it's it, it's very clear that it's a considered choice. It's not just a blow off. Well. You know, one of the companies that we sat down with, Karen Burger Cigars. Good people. Yeah. Good cigars. Mm-hmm. Didn't knock my socks off, but good cigars. And I, they gave me a couple, and I've been smoking through their line and kind of 
familiarizing myself, and I told the guy, I said, if I bring you in right now with all of the stuff that people have requested we bring in... You'll get lost in the shuffle. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you have no opportunity for success. Call me after the first of the year when that has mellowed down. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, if I gave you some T-shirts, do you think you give T-shirts away? It's like, no, that's... I, I'm not... I'm literally... And it's exactly what you said. He thought I was saying no, and I wasn't. I was literally saying exactly what I meant. I want to give everybody that comes in here a fair shot with their cigars. Yeah. I and won't. sometimes you have to sit on the bench for a few innings before right. you get your shot at the plate. But, you know, we went and we got cigars that the guys had been asking for to come in this shop. Mm-hmm. And uh, we listened to the customers, and our priorities were very well organized to... These are the cigars that have been requested by, by, by customers that mm-hmm. they want to see in this shop. Well, you net, say you land out of six brands, you land four of those. Well, that's all the guys are going to be smoking that asked you to bring them in. Right. So by the time your cigar gets noticed, it's been sitting on the shelves for four months. And they say, well, it's been sitting on the shelves for four months. What good is it? Right, exactly. So I'm going to smoke a very elite cigar. Well, wait oh. a minute. <laughs> oh, did you not finish <laughs> we, we got derailed. We were talking about... Um, All right, finish up. Yeah, this I'm, is, I'm, I'm in a hurry to light. I understand. Uh, this is the Artista Midnight. It is their first foray into the full-bodied cigar market, which sounds like it should be right up my alley. Um, from the website, the blend is a dark Ecuadorian Habano with an Ecuadorian Connecticut shade binder and fillers from the Dominican, Nicaraguan, and U.S. Um, you don't see U.S. in the filler very often. It's, um, I assume, Connecticut, but I, I, it doesn't give me anything more than that. No, you don't see that in there very often. And Artista, you know, famous for the Buffalo Tent. Which I, I think, smoke so many of. Yeah, Buffalo Tin's got to be their most popular blend. They also do the David Ortiz, the Big Poppy, mm-hmm. which is an excellent cigar. And like I said, we brought them in, and they sold gangbusters for the first little while, and then they kind of fell off. Everybody moved on to something else. And, of course, that's the trick of, being, of managing a humidor, is seeing the trends. You know, we have a cigar in here right now, that's been one of our top sellers for a long time. I mean, has just dominated the market. And when we were at the show, they're offering a show deal, and we're like, well, should we buy a bunch of boxes? And I said, no, because we're bringing in stuff that's going to compete more directly with that. The things we're bringing in, if you look at the palette of some of the cigars that we chose to bring in at this show, they're going to compete with that cigar in a way it's never been competed with before. So if we order 20 boxes of that stick, we may have 18 of them two months from now. Right. So we've got to, um, you know, that's that's the art of humidor management. That's just part of it is really getting that in. So I'm going to smoke the Cinco de Cinco. This is the new Hoya release. This is going to be one of their exclusive releases. Uh, the 6x52, which I think is what I'm smoking. Looks like it. Going to retail for $16.95. It's a San Andreas wrapper over Nicaraguan binder and fillers. What does that sound like? Mm. <laughs> it's a soft box press. I mean, this is this is as close to a Padron clone right. <laughs> as you can get. 
Now, have you had one yet? Is this your first one of those? This is my first one. This is the one that they gave me at the show. It even looks like a Padron clone. It does. It kind of has that. It's very Padron-esque in its appearance and its recipe. Um, The draw is excellent. I have to been drawing on it. The draw is quite good. Um, I'll be interested to see how it goes because I I do, you know, Hoya is a brand I don't smoke as many of as I probably should. I feel the same way. I every time I have the the other shop I go to it had a bit of a lull in their inventory for a while and I went back to the Nika Rustica which I had not had in a long time. I think it was because there for a while when it got white hot they started to have a little bit of that ammonia youth flavor to them. I kind of got away and I came back and it's a phenomenal cigar. And I really should. I mean, the silver, the black, the red. I remember early on in the show, we were smoking them all the time. It's really a brand that, that I have a lot of love for. Well, you know, we were kind of reviewing our diplomat status and everything like that with our rep there. And Drew Estate's diplomat program is slightly more complicated than rocket surgery. Did they fix it? No. Okay. So they doubled down on the ridiculous changes they made but a couple years ago. The good thing is they did educate their salesmen, and they do they can explain it to you. Okay, well that's that's a start. You know, and and so one of the things we were needing kind of another face to come in. I said, bring in the cabinetta. Oh yeah, and all, and so we brought in the Hoya cabinetta, and Price I think it's going to be great. Yeah. Taste is phenomenal. Got a little uniqueness with the double wrappers. Yeah. Kind of, it, it's got everything you need to succeed in mm. this humidor. And, you know, of course, we got the greatest rep in the world, Kyle. Yeah. Kyle it, Davis. No one is does out it this, better. Yeah. He's out of this world. He's a really good guy. You know, you've reached a level of success when the guy that hired you starts bragging about hiring you. Um, we met the guy that hired him to Drew Estate, now works for another company. And he came up, and that was one of the things he said. Oh, I'm the one that hired Kyle. Right? Yeah, that's that. That's how that that's a um, that's the most sincere form of flattery for Kyle. Kyle should absolutely. really be proud. I haven't told Kyle that yet because I was at the show when he was. Not, yeah, he's. You know, we were just sliding in and sliding out. He yeah. had tons of customers oh, coming I'm in. Sure. And we're not the biggest Hoya customer he's got. We didn't want to tie a bunch of his time. We wanted yeah. him to be able to service the accounts that were that were really there, but. I got to smoke a cigar with Nick Perdomo. Oh, nice. He is the best dude ever. I've never heard anybody say anything else. He is so good. He, so he walks up to the table where we're all sitting there. Myself and, the other, and two of the other owners are sitting there. Or two of the owners. I, right. I'm not an owner, but two of the owners are sitting there with me, and Nick walks up to the table, and he said, Arthur was sitting with us. He's one of the executive vice presidents. He said, are these those idiots from Mississippi? I need to talk to them. And I said, no, sir, we're the idiots from Nashville. And he laughed, and he said, okay, I'm going to talk to you. <laughs> so he said, Arthur, go over there and talk to that guy. And so Nick just sits down. Nick, he's a force of nature. Yeah. I will say, don't let his reputation for being a nice guy fool you. He's a force of nature of a personality. He's, right. he's larger than life. And so he sits down with us. And I'll, I'll shorten the story. We had a bunch of stories and a bunch of time, and I smoked the new Perdomo 30th. 
Best Perdomo I ever had. Okay. Not the best cigar I ever had. Best Perdomo no. I've ever had, though. Absolutely his best work. Now, did you get to ask him your question? I asked about the addition to Silva, mm. and he said he wants you to smoke the 30th when it comes in here. Okay. Because, so Arthur had actually had a hand in working on the addition to Silva. Okay. And they, it's a deal where they can't get the tobacco anymore. Right. And he said, but I think that he's going to smoke this 30th and find it to be very close to that. All right. Excellent. And all because I mentioned you and your your talk about that. So we're sitting there talking to Nick Perdomo. I said, Nick, I've got a question I've got to ask you. I said, um, why everybody at this show has tried to sell me a Lancero today. Why does Perdomo not make a Lancero? Because you notice Perdomo makes no Lanceros. Right. It's one of the things I like about them. Yeah. And so Nick said, well, I got two really good reasons. He said, number one reason is the amount of effort to make a Lancero. I'd have to literally strip my leaves into smaller sections to ever get the blend right, to ever get the draw right. He says, it's so labor intensive. I would end up charging my customers more for a lesser cigar, and I won't do that to my customer base. And I said, well, you know, of course, he went into great, I'm paraphrasing right. yeah. to say the least. But, and this is a direct quote, he said, the other reason... He says, Fidel Castro smokes a Lancero. And I'll vote for a Democrat for I'll make something that son of a bitch would have smoked. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, fair. So that, that, that's Nick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's, just, that's who he is, you know, and, and just talking to him, but just as good a guy. Showed us pictures of his house, showed us pictures of the car, of the new. He, he got his Corvette and things like that and grandbaby pictures and all that stuff big family man talking about his family dinners yeah things like that and sharing time with his family and how that's important to him well that's that's awesome it's it's such a testament the fact that nobody has a bad story about nick yeah it's impossible to meet him um the other thing the other point he made that i thought was a very interesting point was we were talking about um he said, do you know why I'm wearing a suit? And he said, do you know why you never see me not in a suit? He said, if any of my reps come into your shop and they're not in a suit, I will fire them. He said, my grandmother taught me to wear a suit when I went to church. He said, and it wasn't nothing but to show respect, show respect yeah. for where you are. He said, so when my representatives come into your shop, I want them to show the appropriate amount of respect for that shop. So you will always see my reps walk in wearing a suit. And so that's pretty pretty interesting. And although I did see a picture, he was a, he's a drummer. Yeah. And he one of our friends here is a drummer and was at a drummer's convention. And I seeing Nick Perdomo in just a t-shirt and shorts at a drummer's convention was like seeing a Photoshop thing where they just put his head on somebody else's body. It was like the first time you saw Kiss without the makeup. Yeah. Yeah. It just really it kind of floors you. <laughs> I bet. When you see that. But just... um. All overall, a great, great guy. So, had a lot of fun talking about that. Tell me about your harvest. How are you liking the midnight? I like it a lot. It's drawing super well. I didn't talk about this at the top, but it's also kind of that pseudo... I wouldn't even call it a pseudo box press. It's definitely a box press, but it's very light around the corners. And it's... The flavor I'm getting off of it is really, really earthy. I know that's a a term that's been thrown around the shop a little bit lately. But it, it's one of those things uh, like the it's like 
what Congress said in the 70s. I don't know how to describe it, but I know it when I see it. That That's earthy to me. Um, coffee, um, sort of nutty. Uh, it's, it's very, very good. The draw is perfect. And I have a feeling that it was blended to this Robusto size. You know, that's one of the best parts about going to the show is almost every cigar they give you is a Robusto. Mm-hmm. And one, you don't feel like you're wasting cigars because you got to go from one appointment to another so fast. Right. But two, you get the true feel of what the blender's after by smoking it in the Robusto. Well, yeah, because that's what they're going to... They're going to put in your hand the one that... Yeah, so they, they really... They give kind of the true feel of that. Um, I, I do want to talk... So Half Wheel did an article about Crux cigars. I know I'm skipping around a little, but while that's we're fine. I can. It, we're playing jazz tonight. I can follow your changes. So, so I've met Casey. Oh yeah. They are. I'm going to step on your byline a little bit here, but they're a great group of folks, and I've told their story on the show before. They owned a cigar shop, I think, in like Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, somewhere in that area, and just House Blend became a brand and very. You know, very grassroots effort to get it. When I was repping out in Texas was when they were really starting to hit the market. And I got to meet him at a shop down there that was one of the early adapters, early adopters rather, to um, to the brand. And I've been a, a, a loyal fan ever since. The Bear and the Bull is just, it's one of the few cigars this, you know, in my nearly 20 year cigar smoking career at this point that I still have to have food first. Yeah, it'll be here soon. I Coming can't soon wait. to a humidor very close to you. It's made in the Placencia factory. All their stuff is, isn't it? Everything but their Maduro. The Maduro is made in the AJ factory. Okay. Um, I don't think I've had that uh, so in a while. Last year we met with Crux, and we love Ben. Ben, our rep, is just the best guy ever, and he came here. We didn't buy at the show last year, and he came and visited our shop a couple of times and smoked with us and talked to us. And our impediment at that time to take it to bring him home was we had too much placencia in the humidor. Right. And our fear was if we brought in the Crux made in Placencia factory at a lower price point than it the Placencia. It would step on the Placencia. Right. We'd kill our Placencia sales. So we worked very hard because Ben's kind of guy you want to work hard with. Mm. Um, we worked very hard to get the Placencias thinned down and so pushed you've out. got a space for this. So it was a lot of fun getting to go make an order with Ben. You know what I think Crux does better than anybody else is their packaging. Oh, I, you know, color scheme and design, first and foremost, is is beautiful. I love the H bands that they use, mm-hmm. where it's kind of solid on the front, but then two individual uh, connections to the back. I just love the way that looks. But the fact that the box comes with 10 loose and 10 five-count packs is so brilliant. If you need more singles, you break open a pack. But if somebody wants to just buy an easy five-pack, it's already sitting there waiting for them. So I'll elaborate on that a little bit. From a cigar store standpoint, Crux makes so much sense because they send you a dress box of each of the cigars. Mm -hmm. But they send all of the refills in five-count boxes. So they just send you a pack. So the amount of space that Crux backstock takes up on your shelves 
is a third of what any other cigar company in the business does. Not only that, but it helps them keep a competitive price point because you're not paying to manufacture a box for every 20 cigars. Absolutely. And, you know, we talked about different marketing strategies. He's like, you know, hey, do 5 or 10 or 15% off on the box of five, and you'll find you'll sell a lot of boxes of five. Oh, yeah. I have no doubt. You know, the so the box of five is great if you play golf because mm-hmm. everybody gets a cigar, and then the winner takes an extra one home. Right. So the box of five is a great... If I was going to make a cigar pack, it would be a five-pack, not a three- or a four-pack. Or if you're like me, you've got three for the round... One to share, one or two to share with a buddy, and or one to, to take home. Absolutely. Just depending on how many you smoke during golf. Speaking of golf, I got to tell you a quick aside. So we were coming back from vacation yesterday, and we, we were in St. Simon's area of Georgia. And so we drove, Saturday we left at bedtime instead of putting the the kid in a pack and play we just put him in the car and we drove as far as we could and about midnight we hit Macon so we stopped for the night in Macon Georgia which is about 45 minutes south of Atlanta well I lived in Atlanta for four years and as we're coming up through Atlanta there's no traffic it's Sunday and you know we had a little time to kill and I was like you know what let's let me see if I remember my way around a little bit so you know my daughter was what five six seven ish around the time that we lived or yet yeah, four four through seven i think when we moved down there to when, when i moved back and so it was it was cool watching her wait i kind of remember this place yeah i remember that oh that was the house that had the stump so we went by the old house we used to live in and it's still i'm very pleased with this uh, I, when we moved into the house, I had, there was a section of the chain link fence that was missing that I repaired. It's still there. <laughs> and, uh, I had, I had built a paver, uh, like a dry set patio off the side of the house. It's still there too. That's cool. I was, I mean, it was, that was, you know, almost 10 years ago when my craftsmanship's holding up. I'm feeling pretty good about that. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. I lived in so many houses growing up. To, to some people look back and they say, oh, this is my family home. This right. is the home I was raised in. That's not a part of my life. Yeah. Because when you're a home builder, your house is always for sale. Yeah, and, exactly. And we would end up, you know, we would have one that wasn't selling and somebody would walk up and want the one we lived in and we're moving. Right. Yeah. It, it just at a drop of a hat. So it always fascinates me to hear stories from people who talk about their family home and where they grew up and where they were raised and all of that sort of thing. Well, it's so interesting, too, because I had my daughter when I was young. And so it was apartment living and it was a lot of moving every year, every couple of years, whatever. So there were a lot. It was a lot like that. And then my son, on the other hand, you know, we own the house that we brought him home from the hospital in and he'll this will be the house he knows for at least the first 10 years of his life and right but what made me think of that real quick to get back to it was i got to drive by the two golf courses that i have played more golf on than any other so i learned to play golf when i was in chiropractor school down there and there were these two executive courses one you could only play 18 holes because it was laid out in such a way that you didn't come back to the clubhouse after nine and then the one next to it was a little bit bigger a little bit nicer and I've played probably 152 rounds, 200 rounds of golf between those two courses. It was really fun to drive by those again and, and, and see that. Oh, yeah. Always cool when you get to see stuff like that. And 
in the world of golf courses, you're glad that it's not closed or anything like that. The way that area has changed, because it's, it's right over there by where they built Truist Park, where the Braves play now. And that whole area has changed so much. I was concerned that they wouldn't still be there. Well, let's step away for a break. Right. When we come back, and we'll talk about a little more about the show. I also want to talk about Jack the Ripper. Such this a strange thing to discuss. ought to be interesting. We'll be back with that more after this. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from a man who rolled eight on the point but wouldn't bet the hard ways, Mr. Trey Denman. You're going to have to. You've <laughs> tried to explain craps to me before, <laughs> and I just don't get it. It's a My experience with craps is that it's a really good way to lose 100 bucks in about 30 seconds. <laughs> it, it can be. It's also a good way to win 1000 bucks in about 30 seconds. Oh, uh, I'm sure. But it, it is just incredibly complex. You, I often thought if I taught a course on craps, I'd have to segment it out into um, into segments of, okay, for your first 20 games, you're just going to play six and eight. Yeah. And then after you've mastered six and eight in the hard ways, then I'll teach you how to bet the field. Hard way is doubles, right? Right. Hard way is doubles. And also, if, you've got, if your point is eight and you're rolling for an eight and you throw money at the hard way, it's a six to one bet. So if you hit the eight, you get paid on the point and the hard way. But I, I was in Vegas, so I had to make a craps joke coming back. I, gotcha. So let me tell you about my gambling in Vegas this time. Because right. you, historically, you don't do a lot of gambling in Vegas. I mean, you talk a big game for a guy that plays poker a lot, but you're not really much of a gambler. No, I'm not. I'm actually not a huge gambler. Um, but so Saturday, we arrived there. We got to Vegas about 8 o'clock in the morning. The show started at 10, so by the time we got our hotels, got our stuff put away, went to the legislative seminar primarily because they gave us a free cigar. Right. And legislative seminar was boring as dishwater. Well, that's not surprising at all. I mean, it, it, they, it was a good idea of them to give away cigars. They should have gave away breakfast, too. But anyway, we sat there, and then we went into the show, and at 6, we were done with the show, and the La Aurora party was that night, and I was just too wiped out. Yeah. I'd got up at 3 that morning our time to get Mark and get out there to the plane and fly to Vegas, and it just there was no going to the party. So I just texted Mark said, hey, I'm not going to the party. I'm going to take it easy over here because I'm staying at Treasure Island. Well, I went downstairs and got me a dinner and ate dinner and thought, you know, kind of catching my second wind, I'll go sit down at the three-card poker table. All right. Sit down at the three-card poker table, playing, new dealer shows up. New dealer walks up, first hand, throws me a straight flush, $550. Boom, nice. just right off the bat. And I'm like, oh, man, this is awesome. So I took the 200 I started with and 200 more and put it in my shirt pocket and said, okay, when what's on the table's gone, I'm done and I'm going to bed. And I, I left about $150 above that. So I, I was up, you know, I was up nicely. Yeah. And all, nothing, no high roller status. But for me, I was up nicely. Um, the next night... I go back to that three-card poker table. I'm sitting there. The same dealer that threw me the straight flush comes up and starts to take over. I'm like, all right, I'm ready to go. This lady came and sat down directly to my right 
and he threw her my straight flush. No, no. <laughs> it was sickening. And, and, you know, what can you do at that point? You right. just tell her how glad you And she'd never played before. And she sits down next to me, and she looks over at me and shows me her cards. I said, put money on top of them. You're going to love this. Yeah. <laughs> and, all. and then, of course, she was ecstatic. But I was just sick. <laughs> it was just... That's really cool, though. It, but, yeah, it was fun. It was, it was fun to get to go do that and kind of go play a little. And then the third night, we all sat and smoked cigars in the bar and talked. And I had... And by the way, if you live in the Chattanooga area, a buddy of mine, Rob, is opening Scenic City Cigars, him and his partner. And you can go to Scenic City Cigars. Whereabouts is it located, do you know? Um, yeah, it's near a driving range and stuff like that. It's on the upper end of town. I, okay. have, I could get you the address. Like West and, Bank, probably. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, get, I'll get a little more details and put it out as I get them. And I'll, but he, um, he wanted to, he's a podcast listener. And if you're in Chattanooga, you definitely want to go by and see them once they get opened. Their shop's beautiful. He was showing me pictures of the shop and how they've built it and how they've fixed it up. Um, just a beautiful, beautiful shop. So it'll be a lot of fun to go out there and do a podcast at some point and talk to him and his partners. Oh, it's on Brainerd Road. Uh-huh. Which is, yeah, it's on the north side of town. No, it's south side of town. But, um, yeah, good-looking spot. I was just driving through there yesterday. Yeah, just a... Um, just a great guy and a great company and him and his wife have been here numerous times to this shop they you know they did a really smart thing when they decided they wanted to open a cigar shop they started going to cigar shops and talking to people and saying what works what doesn't how does this go how does that go really a smart smart move on their part and then of course he starts listening to the cigar cast which what better information could uh, you get i mean that's that, that's how you know he's good people right there <laughs> no i you know i've known a handful of folks who have who have come into the the cigar industry since i've been a part of it and that's one of the things that is always such a good tell you know he no longer he no longer owns the shop over in mount julia but but um tony benkin that started lone star cigars was that way you know, he he was, lived on the west side of town, had a shop way out east, and so he would just he would hit all the cigars in between, and he was learning and becoming friendly. And I feel like that's unique to this area. You get into Atlanta, and that doesn't happen. Everyone feels like they're in competition. Here, it's a lot more communal, and I love that about this area. I, I was talking to a rep. I was sitting there actually talking to the guys from Scenic City, and I said. Your be- one of your problems is you're so close to Atlanta, so your reps are all going to have PTSD when they come to your shop. Right. <laughs> and, and he said, really? And there was a rep sitting there with us. I said, hey, do you work Atlanta? I said, yeah. He said, would you give it away tomorrow? He said, yes. Yeah. He says, oh, home, Atlanta, Georgia, home of the two-box order. Yeah. <laughs> he said, it's just, he says, it's, it's rough. It's brutal. Yeah, it's just rough. But speaking of brutal, speaking of rough... Jack the Ripper, identified as disabled cigar maker by great-great-granddaughter of policemen involved in original case. There is a lot to unpack in that, uh, in that headline. So this is LBC leading Britain's conversation. And They're on your side, mate. <laughs> I guess. Cheers, I guess. Hey, by the way, Americans, quit saying cheers. I say cheers all the time. Uh, quit, quit it. As as by or when you're toasting, as by as oh, okay. goodbye as instead of 
see you fellers later or have a good one or something more more rural. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Yeah. Don't don't say cheers and don't say, oh, my daughter's attending university at such as... No, she's going to college. Get over it. (laughs) You know, it's just... Sorry, that's one of the little idiosyncrasies of the language that's manifested in the past five years that drives me nuts. We, we were, it's funny. We were talking about that on the way home yesterday, actually, because I, I had to ask my wife what the correct word in English was for something. And I know that sounds just pompous as hell, but I watch a lot of British TV. So my favorite comedians are British. And, and sometimes things, the, the lines get blurred and... So I, I have been calling it a car park forever. And, oh, but, the other, but the one that, that got me the other day was I could not re- remember whether it was hydroplaning or aquaplaning was the American one. Hydroplaning. Because I, I call it aquaplaning. And I just, I have, and it, it was one of those, it came up because it was raining. And I was like, I can't remember which one. Am I saying it wrong? Hey, honey, what are we doing right now? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a donut, you idiot. No. Uh, um, but it, it is funny how those things, you're, it's just a product of, of what you enjoy. But anyway, we can get back to the story. I just thought it was funny that I, I literally, how do you say this in English? I mean, how do you say this in, in American? So the story is like most of these stories about Jack the Ripper. I mean, I'm not sure how much the great-great-granddaughter of a policeman involved in the case actually knows about Jack the Ripper? Well, you know, I think I think her relationship to the police captain investigator, whatever, is a moot point. There are so many people. There are scholars over the Jack the Ripper cases. There are, there are so many people. I mean, there's a lot of information. The idea that we're going to solve it is, is ludicrous. But there are tons of people who have more information than they had at the time. Well, so one thing, I guarantee you, if I went around this cigar shop right now, I may, may do it after the show, and said, how many people did Jack the Ripper kill? What do you think the average person would guess the number of people Jack the Ripper killed was? I bet the average guess is probably around 12. I bet it's double digits. I yeah. bet in a, in a sampling of 15 people, you would not find anybody guess less than double digits. Right. He only killed six people. I mean, that's more than I've killed. Well, uh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's been a slow week, though. You've still got time. That's true. But, you know. No, I, I think the fascination with Jack the Ripper is the fact that it was unsolved. You know, it's the same reason that people still agonize over the Zabruder film, the JFK assassination. You, you know, people just have this. It's a reason that true crime podcasts are the, are the most popular genre of podcasts on the market. People have this fascination with the macabre, but it's also a little bit of, you know, Dunning-Kruger effect of this thinking that, well, the sharpest minds of their era that had fresh evidence couldn't solve it, but I can't. Well, the human, the human animal loves a mystery. Oh, yeah. Not only loves a mystery, finds a mystery irresistible. And the sensationalism of it, you know... I think probably the first serial killer most people know about is Jack the Ripper. Uh, most likely, yeah. Most most likely, most people the first the, the first encounter with that side of the world. Well, it's also, you know, it's so long ago, and so far away, 
that it doesn't feel it doesn't feel grotesque. You know, if if you were if you became obsessive about the BTK, you know that oh that's that's going to be a little morbid. Uh, you know, or some of these other that were, you know, within the last 50 years in our neighborhoods. But this, it feels like history. Well, it is history, but I, I, I think it takes some of the, I think it takes some of the modeling out of it. I think so. I think that's where a lot of it comes from. I mean, I do think it is just the sensationalism of it, that it has been exposed for so long. I do think it's interesting is... There have been, you know, and, and I've done a little bit of reading on Jack the Ripper, um, mostly because I am an Anglophile, and it's just, it, there's a, a wealth of information. They this, make a pill for that. This theory, uh, this theory that the that Jack the Ripper was disabled has been one of the leading theories for years. So I think it, uh, that's why I just I thought it was interesting that they've now started. There was one there was a theory that was gaining traction years ago. Oh my God, I'm becoming like you with Bigfoot. <laughs> there, holy, I've got Welcome to take stock to the dark of my life. Side. No, the Elephant Man at one point was uh, theorized to be Jack the Ripper. I've heard that. I've heard there was some prince, and that was he was Jack the Ripper, and that's why the mystery was never solved. Is it? The royal family quietly swept it under the rug. Yeah, I've heard that theory. I've heard several different there are different Jack the Ripper theories out there about that. You know, and I'm always the no. You know, I read um, Mind Hunter, yeah. the man that invented criminal profiling for the FBI. What was his name? Uh, don't anyway, know. I read his book about serial killers in my youth because I was just I was interested in that. And if more people knew that the number one target of serial killers is prostitutes, there might be less prostitutes out there. <laughs> I don't think many people get into that line of work for the perks, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, the, the certainly fact, not the tips. Hey, the, the fact is, if you were going to create the perfect victim for serial killers, it would be a prostitute. They move around. They're largely anonymous. They're usually Transient. separate from their family. They're, if you were creating a, a perfect prey for a serial and, killer, it would be a prostitute. And it's a victim that a lot of people don't have sympathy for. Right. They feel yeah. like they deserved it in some way. Yeah, it's, so there's a, there's a lot of that. But let's talk about something happy. I, just had, I was just curious as to why Jack the Ripper is so big. So we've, kind of, we've come to the conclusion that it's just the serial killer that most people are exposed to and that it's an unsolved crime. Yeah. And then it's it's and then it's it's long ago in the past that you don't feel dirty for being interested. Yeah, I, I can see that. You got enough separation, right? <laughs> so not too soon. <laughs> so I want to hear you talk about Padron. I'm moving us to that one next. All right. So I got to smoke a cigar or sit there at the Padron booth. I didn't smoke a cigar in their booth. They gave me a cigar. Let it let it be known. Padron gave me a cigar. Um, and Mark owes me a Padron, by the way, because the next day we were smoking and he didn't have nothing and all I had was my Padron, so I said he'd have to give me his. All right. So Mark owes me a Padron, help me remember to remind uh, him I, of that. I will make sure that that debt gets paid. <laughs> um, Carla Padron, who's Jorge's niece, she came up to us to help us. And sweetest person, nicest person, you know, 
you expect a certain amount of if your last name's Padron, you expect a certain amount of hoity-toitiness. She had none of that. Right. Um, Alfonso helped us first. He's a Padron. He's a really good guy. And then Carla came over and started helping us. And just great people. So the Padron Black is coming out. So previously, the Padron Black was only available in the Cigar Rights of America pack. Right. Which was like a $200 pack. And I believe we talked about it on the show. We did. And I, th- I said I was tempted to buy a $200 pack of cigars just, just for the for Padron Black. Yeah. Well, they've decided to release the Padron Black. And this is what I love about Padron. Padron knows who Padron is. They don't release nothing before the show about what they're going to do. You just right. walk into their booth and there's the Padron Black. Um, the Padron Black, it's going to be a 6x46 Corona Gorda. So it's a good size. Of course, yep. it's a Nicaraguan Puro. They're esti- they're estimating them because they they haven't they released. haven't released that, but they're estimating they'll probably be about forty bucks each. What I'd say is probably a good guess. Which isn't I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but that's not bad. You know, hi- historically, special releases by Padron within the last three years have been fifty or plus. And the deal was, we were allowed to order ten boxes of Maduro and ten boxes of Natural forever. Really. <laughs> So, and it's like, it's like Carlos. That's said, that's the show deal. She said that well, it was the only way you'd ever order them. But but I mean that's your that's your incentive. That's your right. benefit. Regardless of how many people, what how many stores you had, how many every retailer was allowed ten boxes of each is all you were allowed to order. And they said you'll probably never order them again. And they'll come in in two or three boxes at a time. She said, you know, they won't come twenty boxes in one night. Right. They're going to come in. They're going to trickle in over the next year or so at a different pace. But 10 boxes of each forever. And, you know, something like that, do you limit the number you allow people to buy or do you allow people to buy a box? I think think you have to limit it. And I know you and I, I believe, are in agreement that we don't like stick purchase limits. Um, Most famously, the Andalusian Bull had a two-stick limit. Uh, pretty much anywhere. It might still in a lot of places. I just don't look at it. Here's this is such a sought after company. And it's such a sought after and rare cigar. And once you sell out, you're never getting them again. What's going to happen is the secondary market is going to be $250, a stick. And you have to limit people's ability to do that. So let me ask this question. If you're, if you're on the retailer side. So we have some guys come in here. One gentleman in particular that we all know very well is the number one Padron purchaser in this store. Right. Um, he purchases Padrones for himself. He purchases Padrones for his friends. When the police officers come in here, one of the things I'm... A side note. One of the things I'm most proud of about this store, and I probably shouldn't advertise this... If a policeman comes in here wearing his uniform, rarely ever does he pay for his cigars when he leaves. Usually somebody sitting in the circle up front will raise their hand and say, hey, put him on my tab. Yeah. Um, it's, one of the, it's one of the things we do out of respect for those guys and how hard they're working and everything. And it's just a very, it's a very nice gesture. And the police never take advantage of right. it. You know, I'm sure everybody at the store, at the, at the office knows you can do that, but no, they never take advantage of us or anything like that. But... Now, a guy like that that you know is one of your regular customers that's going to spend 
$5,000 a year in Padrones here. And he comes in and wants a box. Will you sell him a box? Yeah, I think I think you can make exceptions. And, you know, it's most, most people, I, I bet even that guy would be understanding if you limited him. He would be, I th- but as such a loyal customer, yeah. I, d- I don't think it would be right to limit him. I, I agree, and I understand. And if, if you're worried about other people seeing and go, well, why are you? Then you let him buy the box, you hold it in the humidor, and just let him grab a few at a time or whatever to keep up appearances. But I don't even think you have to do that because it's nobody else's business, A. B, I think if you explain to most people that you don't know, and it's like, why is there a limit on this cigar? And then you explain, because there are only, you know, we're going to get 20 boxes times 20. We're going to get 4,000 of these cigars. 20 boxes times 10 cigars, 200 of them. 200, yeah. So you're going to get, I meant to say 400, not 4,000. Anyway, um, you're going to, yeah, you're going to get 200 cigars, and then they're gone. And to produ- protect the integrity of the shop and the brand and whatever, we're trying to limit people's ability to make, you know, three, $400 off a stick on the secondary market. We want these to go to the people who are actually going to smoke them and enjoy them. Most people will go, oh, that's smart. Yeah, I think most, most cigar guys would understand that. Most cigar guys would get that and understand that. Um, and I do think that's what I'm going to argue for is that, hey, publicly we need to say to a person mm-hmm. and then privately if some guys that we know are going to smoke them themselves and buy a lot of patrons here anyway right want to buy a box then yeah they get the right to buy a box yeah and if you're especially like you know you, you don't police it too hard right if somebody comes in the next day and buys two more and comes in the next day and buys two more a you're probably not even going to notice unless it's a regular who you probably would have made an exception for anyway yeah, so I think it works out. But the Padron people were were beautiful. They were great. The booth is like holy ground there. Do you know when the first boxes are going to ship? No, nobody does. <laughs> is it, can you imagine having a product that you say, you can order 20 boxes? Um, how much are they going to cost? Can't tell you. When are they going to get there? Can't tell you. All right, sign me up. Right. <laughs> could, could you imagine having that product in your yeah. <laughs> as, as a salesperson? I do see here it's slated for release in October of this year. Yeah, she said that they would start coming in, but they wouldn't come in 20 boxes at a time. Right, They'd come in right. a couple of boxes at a time. And I'm sure it'll be account basis. You, know, you guys probably won't get the first shipment, first allotment. I, yeah. I would say probably beginning of the year to be on the lookout for it most places. Well, I will say it was night and day difference this year and last year us going to the show. Oh, yeah. Last year at the show, it was our first show. We were a new shop. We had just taken over. We were, And so everybody was kind of treating us with kid gloves. But the reps that have been in here and have talked amongst themselves and talked to each other, we, we were kind of a big deal felt kind of cool. I bet. <laughs> so, and you got recognized for this podcast, which is always a good thing. Always fun. That feels so good. <laughs> so the best cigar I smoked at the show was the Big Sky Cryptid. I, you know, you put this in the show notes, and I, and I have to ask, how much did the name factor in to how much you like this cigar? I have wrestled with this very topic. I knew you would have. 
because there's cigar companies I love and cigar companies I don't love. And Big Sky, obviously, you know, and you go and you sit and hear the story. They got a, So here, you go to the Big Sky booth. They don't show this picture on half wheel of how the booth actually felt. You go sit there. You, you can see the bottle of Buffalo Trace sitting on the yeah. end table right there. They got a bottle of Buffalo Trace. They got their cowboy hats on. They got their boots on. And I walk up and I said what I say to everybody. Give me your story. More important than a binder, a filler, and a wrapper, a cigar needs a story. They said, we're a couple of fishing buddies that were fishing the lakes and rivers in Montana and said, hey, why don't we start a cigar company? And we started a cigar company. And I love people like yeah. that. I love that spirit. I love that feel. So, yes, I will say I wanted this to be a good cigar. Also, it's called The Cryptid. Right. My Bigfoot fascination and my, my cryptozoology fascinations. This this cigar was built... For, if you were building a cigar to sell to Shane, this is the this cigar is you would build. Yeah. <laughs> you know, top to bottom. But it was outstanding. In a day when I had smoked 15 cigars, it stood, it out. stood out. Yeah. And it just knocked my socks off. And they also gave me the Blackfoot and the Mad Minnow. Mad Minnow is amazing. Little old bitty. It's their cigar they made just for fishing. It's short. Uh-huh. Short. Looks like a minnow. Uh, Panatella style. Oh, nice. But so smooth. So rich. Just a great... I can... You feel like you're on a trout stream in Montana smoking this cigar. That's awesome. And so we made an order with Big Sky. I hope they go over big in the shop. I think with me behind them, they probably will. I, I think so, too. What's the price point on them? 12 to $15. 12, 15, yeah. The minnow's 6 bucks. So, you know, good price point. They have the coolest marketing. You'll love this piece of marketing. We didn't order any because I want to get them established first. They have the Big Sky Tackle Box. Oh, that's brilliant. They send you five cigars, a cutter, and five flies hand-tied by one of the owners of the company. I love that so much. That's really <laughs> he, cool. He said, we, we said, well, can we get the tackle box? He said, yeah. He said, I'll go home tie you some flies. We can sell you tackle boxes all you want. I'm like, like, that's just the coolest dude thing to say ever. Right. (laughs) That's just just an amazing skill. So that that was really good. And also, one last thing before we call it a night. I do want to ask you about Pravada Club. Are you familiar with Pravada Club? I am. I actually want to talk about something else. Okay, we'll do Pravada Club next time. Yeah, let's do Pravada Club next time. Um, Drunk chicken cigars. Mm -hmm. You put this in the notes. Uh, is there a crowd out there for a tight draw product? And I'm curious where... I, I need the background here. Okay. Desiree. Number one, I love the name. Desiree is a wonderful person. Her and her husband and their son... or Yeah, one of their sons um, work the, were working the booth themselves. And where the cigar brand comes from is she has pet chickens in her backyard. And she would invite her friends over, and they would sit out back and smoke cigars and drink wine, and the chickens would roam around. And they said, you know, you you ought to call this Drunk Chicken Ranch. So Desiree had a sign made for her backyard. You're now entering Drunk Chicken Ranch. I like it. And so she decided to start a cigar brand, and that's how it became Drunk Chicken Cigars. Um, Sat down, and she handed me a cigar, and it um, it was the Drunk Chicken Original. And I lit it. And Not I, the extra crispy? Uh, no, not the... Not, and they have the mother clucker. Of course. Um, but I sat down... That one gets a pass with me on suggestive naming, by the way. 
Does it? Tell Mark that. Okay. And I'll tell tell Mark that because he he wouldn't order it just because of that. Yeah, I'll, that one gets a pass with me. Yeah, tell, be sure you tell him that after the show. I will. Um, so, but I know he's seen me saying, "Here, smoke this mother clucker." Uh, so he probably, you know, he may have a point. Yeah. But anyway, um, I sat down and I lit the stick and I said, "Does it was a reboost?" I said, "Does the Toro loosen up some?" Because I'm getting a real stiff draw. And Desiree was very, very honest. She said, no. She said, I like a firm draw in my cigar. She said, when I blend, when I blended and had these made, I wanted on purpose to have a firm draw. Hmm. And it wasn't oppressively firm. Okay. But for somebody like me who wants to be like I'm sucking through a straw, it was more than I wanted. Right. And I'll, am I in the minority? Am I, I in the majority? I mean, is, is this going to hamper them that they do have a little stiffer draw? You ask 100 people what the quickest way to turn you off of a cigar is and they'll tell you too tight a draw now what's too tight for some will will not be tight enough for others and you know it's as variable as a palate but i think by and large most people would suffer a too loose draw far easier than they would a too tight well, you know, I could see if I'm sitting at Drunk Chicken Ranch and her husband's got something on the grill and we're having a few cigars, that a tight draw could be a benefit to slowing my smoking down and really enjoying the cigar on a different level as opposed to at the show where I'm just smoking cigar after cigar after cigar. Yeah. So I, I'm not, by no means saying anything derogatory about their cigar. The cigar was good. Yeah. Cigar was good. We didn't end up placing an order this year just because we already kind of had our dance card full. Mm-hmm. But I can kind of see a future for Drunk Chicken Cigars coming in at some point. Yeah. Um, I, I, again, I like the story. I'm, I'm like you. I, I really like to know the background, hear the background, that sort of thing. And, and, and I'm thinking about it, too. You know, wine is not really known for pairing well with cigars, but it does, depending on what you're... And I'm wondering if the tightness of the draw limits the smoke production in such a way that it doesn't overpower any of the tasting notes for the wine. Because, you know, bourbon has certain tasting notes and things like that, but you don't usually hear people talk around sitting there tasting bourbon just for the flavor notes. It, it, it tastes like bourbon. Right. Wine, much like cigars, has much more variability and nuance in the flavors. I wonder, I wonder if there's a benefit to that sort of natural pairing to how they got into the industry. Maybe. Maybe something along that lines. But Desiree, very smart business lady. Sweet, nice as she could be to us. Um, I really liked her very, very much. And, I'll, you know, we, we dealt with some people at the show that were not nice. Well, that, there's always, in every crowd. Yeah. Um, one company I went up there and asked, I said, hey, we'd like to talk to you. You want to open a new account? Yeah. Oh, we can't possibly open a new account at the show. Then why the blinkity blink blink are you even here? Right. And they proceeded to hand me a folder about half an inch thick. These are our requirements to bring our cigars into your store. I which, need you to tell me who that brand is when we get off the which air. Which I took and the first trash can I walked by, I threw it in and said, yeah, we're not going to be able to carry them. Yeah. So, I hope you made sure the label was sticking up in the trash can so everybody <laughs> yeah. walking by could see it. Yeah, it was it was terrible of them. They they could not have made a worse first impression. Yeah. So it, it's amazing for every for every 
five stories about the most amazing people you meet at the show. There's always one of those. There's always one. And the, and I've got some stories I'll tell you off the air of, yeah. of some other experiences I had that were really interesting, and we'll share them on the show in the coming weeks. I don't want this to be all Shane talking about going to the show. I got you. Tell me about your artista. You know, I was thinking about this during the break while you stepped away, and I feel like I give out way too many sixes on this show. I feel like that has become my five, you know, when we, when we establish the paradigm that we, we rate cigars on. And I don't think this cigar is a six, but I think it's knocking on the door. I'm going to go five, seven, five. And the only reason for that, and this is disclaimer here, this is me. This is not the cigar. It is drying my palate out so much. And, you know, I've been smoking a lot of AJ lately, and I smoke a lot of Nicaraguans outside of AJ. It's it's not even that I'm just so used to smoking Dominican that it's catching me off guard. This is just a dry cigar. Now, the flavor, incredible. I really, really enjoy it. It's just kind of giving me the dry mouth. And second caveat, our regular listeners will know that I'm about an octave and a half lower than I am. We've got the Canadian wildfires have pushed down into this area to where we actually have a air quality advisory in effect for the next two days. And it's hitting me hard because Tennessee allergies kick my butt every year anyway. Having been at the beach for a week and coming back into it and now this air quality stuff, I'm just, I'm destroyed. So there may be a little bit of that in here too, but I am getting the flavor. It's just that, it's just the kick in me in the teeth of the dry mouth. So here's the million dollar question. If in your travels you walked into a store and you've seen a box of Artista Midnight sitting there, would you pick one up? Absolutely. In a heartbeat? In a heartbeat. Okay. That, to me, that says it all. To me, to me, that's more a hallmark of a six than anything. Yeah. It, you know, you're right. It really is. And I think maybe I'm, I'm discounting them too much just for fear that I'm a teacher making too many Cs on the multiple choice exam. Right. I, yeah, I would. And I, I also want to give credit where it's due that... This is their first time really striking out for a full-bodied cigar. And I think they did it incredibly well. I think it's not overpowering. It's not nicotine-heavy. It's very full-bodied and fla- it's very full-flavored in addition to being full-bodied. It, it, it's excellent. Yeah, uh, six. six. So I should call Carla at the first of the year and bring in a couple of boxes. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. So the Cinco de Cinco, it's excellent. It is not Padron-esque, even though everything would lead you to believe that. It's Hoya at their best. Okay. I haven't tasted a Hoya this good since the original Quattro Cinco. All right. When they were a limited edition. And this is milder, much milder than the Quattro Cinco. Because you're used to with the Hoya getting something that's got a little bit right. of kick. This is not. This is smooth as silk. Oh, interesting. Um, at $16.95, $18, probably a little pricey. Mm-hmm. Probably not something that would make it into my regular rotation, but probably something that I would enjoy occasionally. All right. On a day when I've had a really good day, but I don't want to buy a Padron, I would probably buy this cigar again. Little nitpick. Mm-hmm. I hate the name. Yeah, five of five? Yeah, I do too. And all because it's it's after the fifty fifth anniversary, which wouldn't that be 
Cinquenta. Cinquenta Cinco? Yeah. <laughs> or Cinco Cinquenta or something like that? Cinquenta Cinco. Yeah, I, do, I don't like the name. I don't. I think they're carrying their naming convention a little too far. Mm-hmm. But the cigar is excellent. That's I mean, great. it's a six all day long. I'll have to pick one up. And I'll, is it, they're, they're not released yet. This was a special one that I got for the, at the show. But just an excellent stick. When they are released, go ahead and pick one up. I think Don't y'all love the it. subtle way he tells me to hold my horses? <laughs> I say, I'm going to pick one up. And he's like, well, hold on. They're not released yet. Well, I know Mark's already smoked his, or I'd, gotcha. tell, or I'd get Mark to give you his. But <laughs> anyway, so how do they get a hold of us, Trey? You can reach us at facebook.com slash the cigar cast. We're on Instagram and Twitter at the cigar cast and email info at the cigar com. Well, thank you everybody for listening this week. And until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us. Mm-hmm.